thank you for joining us for another episode of the Underdogs of Animal Welfare. Again, my name is Michael Bricker, and today I'll be joined by Melissa. Melissa is the current medical manager for Palm Valley Animal Center, but we're going to talk to her today about you know, what she's done in the past, how many jobs she's held since she's been here, and a bunch of other things. You're really going to love this episode, so stay tuned. Here we are. So we're here with Melissa, and we also have our now titled executive producer of the Underdogs of Animal Welfare, Luis Quintanilla. So, Melissa, I just want to jump into this. Is that all right? Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. So, first, I mean, honestly, you know, I only gave people your first name. So, can you can you tell tell us what your current title is? Obviously, your name and what department you're in. My name is Melissa Saldana, I'm the current medical manager for Palm Valley. Awesome. Very cool. So so the medical department, uh, that's one of our largest departments at Palm Valley Animal Center. Uh, how many employees do you oversee? I oversee 14. 14. All right. Very cool. And uh, how long have you been at Palm Valley Animal Center? I've been with Palm Valley since 2013, so that's six years. Six years, my gosh! Can only imagine all the things that you've seen in those six years. So, uh, so, well, tell me a little bit about your life prior to Palm Valley Animal Center. Um, well, I volunteered with a boys and girls club. Okay. Um, once I volunteered for a couple of years, I ended up getting the job there. So every summer, I worked at the Alton Boys and Girls Club as a dance instructor. Oh wow! Um, I did dance in high school, so then I decided to do that. Um, after that, I started working at Peter Piper Pizza. Okay. I was there for about three years. Um, and Peter, then... Peter Piper Pizza. So, for those listeners, is that just a Texas thing? I'm not sure. Uh, well, so, for those of you that maybe aren't in Texas or have never heard of one of these places, Peter Piper Pizza is a less fun Chuck E. Cheese. Mike is wrong. <laughs> I think Peter Piper is great. Uh, Peter Piper is cool, but... They don't have a mascot, do they? Yeah, it was they a have. dinosaur. It was a purple yeah. dinosaur. So they ripped off Barney? No. Horrible. All right, next question. Uh, <laughs> all right, so you worked at Peter Parker Pizza. Cool. And then what? Um, and then I started working for Build-A-Bear Workshop. Oh. The, the same week where I got hired for Build-A-Bear is when I had my interview for Palm Valley. Oh, my gosh. So you get hired at Build-A-Bear. You go to an interview at Palm Valley. How did that interview go? I got the job, okay. and, but at the, the same week when I got the job, um, I got the phone call that I got both jobs, and I decided to go with Build-A-Bear. So oh, I turned man. down the position at PVAC. And, and what led you to that decision? Why did you decide to go to Build-A-Bear instead of Palm Valley? I thought it would be easier. Yeah. Oh, well, Build-A-Bear? <laughs> yeah. You were right. <laughs> you were yeah. 100% right. Um, okay. Well, then the opposite of that, what stopped you at uh, Build-A-Bear and brought you back to Palm Valley? Um, Build-A-Bear wasn't giving me enough hours. Okay. So then I called Palm Valley back and I said, hey, do you still want to offer me that job? Yeah. And they, they took me in. I, I got the job and I started working there. That's amazing. <laughs> so where did you start out? What department? I started off as a kennel tech in the admitting department. So I was scrubbing kennels, feeding the dogs, um, every once in a while having to take them to the euthanasia room oh wow geez um so 
So that must have been pretty difficult. Uh, tell me more about that. Did you enjoy that job? I enjoyed scrubbing the kennels. I actually started off in the pit bull section. Okay. Um, since the dogs are housed alone and they're, they're only one per kennel, it's the easiest one to start off in. Okay. So I did start off in the pit bull section when we had a pit bull section. So so I guess the, the shelter was broken up into different sections. One of those you said was a pit bull section. And I know from previous talks with you, you mentioned that uh, this was a section that, you know, well, tell me more about that section. You were saying, like, you know, only one person could be in there at any given time, and, and talk more about that. It was, like, a secured area with fencing and caution signs, and it was just an area where only if you were designated for that area, you were able to go in. Nobody else was able when you, allowed to go in. When you're talking about that, like, caution signs and fencing, the first, like, thing that popped in my mind was, like, Jurassic Park. Like... You know, like when you first go and like there's that big dinosaur behind the. That's thing. how so, they were treated. Like monsters almost. Yeah, they weren't. Wow. They weren't able to. We weren't able to house them with any other dogs. Goodness. So they they stayed there until ultimately they were be euthanized. Wow. Since we had that pit bull ban. So, oh, jeez, yeah. So that brings up another topic. But so okay, so they would stay there, I guess, just for their stray hold, just in case owners came, and then at the end of that three days, they would be euthanized. Yes. Wow. Holy moly. Um, okay, yeah. So at that time, there was a, a ban on the adoptions and rescue of, of pit bulls or pit bull type dogs. Um, so what did you think about that? What were your thoughts? Like, you, you just get this job at an animal shelter. Um, they, you know, bring you back to the clean some kennels, and they start you off in this monster section. Uh, what were your thoughts about pit bulls at that time? Did that... Did your thoughts change from that point to now? Well, uh, starting off in that section, I didn't have a, a fear of pit bulls okay. or anything like that. A lot of people started off with like thinking that there are these monsters. Yeah. Um, I, I actually enjoyed being in that in that section because first you see that caution sign at first, you're like, oh my god, what am I walking into? But then when you walk down that aisle, yeah, you just get these big old babies that are in the front of the gate just smiling and wagging their tail and it's they're it wasn't that bad oh my gosh yeah i mean i can imagine where the people that were intimidated why they would be like i'd be a little intimidated if you know i didn't have you know the experience with the breed or with dogs in general and i see caution tape and signs and fencing and i would think that you know i was about to clean some tigers like um, so very crazy. So so yeah. So it seems like your your opinion of them was you know was well really wasn't changed at all because you you always knew that they were they were great dogs. So that's that's very mm-hmm. cool. So just for you listeners know that is obviously not what happens here today. Um, changing the pit bull ban was one of the the first things that I wanted to really combat when I got here um, a year and a half ago. So. We've been adopting out pit bulls in great numbers for the past year and a half. So uh, pit bulls or bully breeds, nobody's tr- you know no breed is treated differently here at Palm Valley Animal Center at all. So okay, so you started off in the kennel department. Mm-hmm. What other departments did you work in, and like for about how long? I was in kennels for a couple of months, and then I got moved into the admitting office. So I was a receptionist. So I was dealing with the public dropping off their dogs 
owners, uh, people coming in to find their lost dog. Okay. That's what I did for a couple of months. And then from, from there, I went into cats. So I was same, kind of similar to the dogs, taking care of them, cleaning their kennels, feeding. Was there like a Siamese section or like a Maine Coon section that was behind like closed doors or no. tape or anything? No. <laughs> no. Um, as far as the admitting department, uh, what do you? How did you? How did you like that? Because I, I know most of the time when people get a job at an animal shelter, and not always, but more times than not, it's because they they're not fond of the public. Um, and they really just want to work with animals. But in that ad- admitting department, tell me some experiences that you had with uh, some of the members of the public. It definitely got really tough when the the reclaiming fee was high. Yeah. And someone's dog someone's dog got picked up, and they're here having to pay a two three hundred dollar fee. Oh my goodness! And every day that passes, there's just an additional fee that's added on to that. Yeah. So having those people come in that are really upset because all they want to do is just get their dog back and, and they can't even afford to do so they can't even afford it holy moly yeah that's gotta be hard and then that and during that time they weren't even getting any medical done so they were getting a dog for we weren't even providing anything wow for, for, i'm sorry the pit bulls oh specifically yeah. pit bulls oh wait so i didn't even think about this so hold on let's unpack this really quick so first so if if I had a pit bull, I came to get my dog. It's gonna cost me a lot of money, um, as we just told, as you just told me, like anywhere from a hundred to two hundred, even three hundred dollars, depending on how long that dog was there. I'm guessing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then for pit bulls, so we treated them, I guess, like a like a bite quarantine or, or pretty much. So we didn't go in there. They had no interaction mm-hmm. with humans at all. Wow. So no vaccines, nothing. No deworming. No deworming. Preventatives. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, I can imagine that discussion has to be pretty tough. So I I lose my dog. Um, I come to the place that I think is going to help me in reclaiming my dog, and it's just a big barrier. Um, I I've said I that people didn't have the the money to take their animals out. So I can imagine those discussions are pretty tough. And then if they didn't reclaim their dog, specifically if it was a pit bull, we would just end up having to euthanize it anyway, right? If they weren't able to pay the fee, then they wouldn't pick up their dog. And then for pit bulls, they would just end up being euthanized. Oh my goodness. Wow. Okay. So admitting. So then after admitting, you went to cats. Um, how long were you in the cat department? I wasn't there too long, maybe a month or two. And I was asked whether I wanted to continue working with cats or I would like to transition to back to dogs. And okay. I said, well, yeah, I'll do dogs. So then I got moved over to our bay. So I was a bay tech. So for those listeners that are, that are not familiar with Palm Valley or haven't been here, what is uh, the bay? The bay was a row of 20 kennels similar to a drive through that animal control will come all hours of the day. To drop off dogs that were that were picked up. Oh, okay. So yeah. So this the bay was um, one of the memories from my first tour here that I will never forget. It's twenty kennels, you said. Mm-hmm. Twenty kennels, and that's exactly what it was. It was a drive-through. I remember walking up um, for my tour. It was probably 
11 or 11.30 in the afternoon. Well, not obviously in the afternoon, in the morning. <laughs> 11 or 11.30. And just a row of animal control trucks waiting to drop off animals. And as I'm walking through, some of these kennels had 10 or 11 of dogs in each one of these, these kennels. Um, then on the other side, the three cat rooms were filled floor to ceiling with cats. Um, it's dark in there. Obviously, the amount of animals, the drains aren't aren't the greatest, so didn't smell the best. That had to be a really challenging place to work. So tell me about uh, your time in the bay. It was challenging having a, a lot of animal control. Not only animal control, but the public go through there too. Yeah. So I I was responsible for getting that dog into that kennel, getting their information down where they were picked up getting them tagged, and then moving them from that location over to our general population. Once they've been vaccinated or, or taken care of? They weren't vaccinated on intake oh, um, during wow. that time. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, obviously. Wow. So so what were they waiting for at in the bay? Just, just for, a... the, for the paperwork. So once okay. the animal control will drop off the dog, the kennel card from the ACO would go over to the admitting office, the paperwork will get processed, kennel card would be printed, placed on the kennel door and then that's when it was my responsibility to put that dog into a it was a metal cart yeah that we would roll them over to our general population got it okay Ooh. um must have been really difficult yeah i lost a lot of weight <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. we had these um plastic gowns that we we used to wear oh, i remember those gowns are like trash bags yeah, yeah so uh 105 degree weather pushing animals in carts wearing a trash bag i can imagine it's like a it was a like a horrible blow dryer wind tunnel and not only do they have the natural heat from outside there's no breeze and there's aco trucks that are passing through all the time with their hot engines and exhaust yeah so there's like no airflow whatsoever and you're wearing plastic gowns and rubber boots my god and carrying a great dane we had to dip every dog in a, uh, a bin full of flea dip. Okay. So we would have to dip every single dog, put them in a cart, and then move them. Wow. Goodness. All right. So from the bay, uh, you went where? Um, I tried out for medical. We okay. We had to try out for two weeks to oh. see how we do. Um, then they, the one spot they had open, we'd have 10 people that were interested and when I tried out, I didn't make it the first time. Okay. Someone else was chosen other than me. And so I stayed in Bay. I actually went to adoptions for like a day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to go back. I wanted to go back to the Lost and Found, to admitting. And then I retried out for medical, and then that's when I made it. Okay. So you made it to medical. Yeah. Um, I had to do a test and everything. <laughs> okay. So how long from, the you know, when your first day at work... Um, how long was it until you actually made it into medical? Um, I think maybe like a year, year and a half. Okay. When I finally moved over to medical. So that was, I guess, what, five years ago now? About? Yeah, five about, about, about five years ago. Sure. So at that time, I mean, the youth, ne- youth numbers were so high, uh, euthanasia numbers. What was an average day like? Um, wh- when I wasn't a certified ticket, I had to hold for euthanasia, and those days were easily 80 
Oh my god. Combination of cats and dogs. Wow. And it it pushed to a hundred sometimes. Wow, wow. Um so can you describe what it felt like to just live in that reality? Living in where, you know, that many animals are unfortunately being euthanized? When you have a deadline to meet and you you're expected to meet that deadline. Yeah. So those days it was you, the mental status you have to put yourself in to just bring a dog in, get it on the table, euthanize, put them on the floor, get the next dog, get the next cat. It was, you didn't have time to even think about it. Yeah. You didn't have time to think about the numbers that you're actually doing. Yeah. It's just one after, one after the other and you're trying to finish that list because they would get overrun the next day and that would just be double the list the next day. Oh my gosh. So, of those days, was there a particular, particularly difficult day or moment uh, that has stayed with you? Definitely the hardest day that I had is when you had just arrived. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, we, we were at capacity, and I think we always are. And um, there was... So let's, let's talk about capacity for a second before this. Um, capacity for Palm Valley at that time was a fluid word. And the, the amount of animals that were being held in kennels and in cages when I got here in July of 2018, I mean, these were medium to large dogs, and those numbers would exceed 7, 8, 9, 10 dogs per kennel sometimes uh cats we were holding two or three adult cats in each one of these small cages groups of kittens um it was we were far far over what anybody could consider a real capacity for for care in those days so so i just wanted to give the listeners an idea of you know, really what we were talking about as far as the amount of animals. Uh, so, so talk. So, uh, back, yeah, this was in July or so, uh, like, you know, first couple weeks being here. So, let's talk about it. Um, it definitely, every day was hard, but especially how, getting brought into your office, saying that we were going to have to euthanize more than what we were used to. Um, I had to go back and it was, it was really hard for me because I had to go back and tell my, my, my staff that we were going to have to euthanize a a large number, which we were, we were euthanizing large numbers, but then once a couple years back, we weren't euthanizing and that caused the overcapacity. So then we had to start euthanizing relatively healthy animals, which was something that one that when I became a leader, when I became a manager, I told myself that I wasn't gonna let that happen. Yeah. While I'm in charge. Yeah. And getting a call from you that you're trying to explain to me as best as possible that the reason why we had to. Yeah. And I I couldn't I couldn't get on that side. And it was really hard for me to tell my staff that it was what we were gonna have to do. 
Yeah, and it, it was really hard to have that conversation with you as well. I mean, you know, at that time, uh, part of the our kennel tech and our cat tech's job responsibilities was going through in the morning and just finding the animals that didn't make it overnight. Uh, dogs that were just in fights just due to the overcrowding. Cats that were just didn't make it again due to fights or, or other issues due to the overcrowding so we were in probably the well definitely the the toughest situation I've ever seen uh, in an animal shelter and never and as you've seen since I've been here never would that be my recommendation uh, other than that time just due to the fact of how these animals were were living and it's I completely understand, you know, the things and decisions that were made that would have led us down that path because we do. We want to save everyone, right? But at that point, there were just no programs to get these animals out. You know, uh, we were barely doing adoptions. In fact, all those animals in the back at that time when I made that call, nobody even knew they existed as far as the public. They weren't on our website. They weren't anywhere. Uh, they weren't being posted to rescue most of them um, since there were just such a great number of them. The cats, no, nobody knew the amount of cats that we had or the types of cats we had. It was just those animals were just living like that for forever until, until eventually they either died in that kennel or they eventually had to be euthanized. There was a clog in our system. Uh, there was no flow. There was no flow at all. There was no movement, which was super difficult. So, so yeah, no, I, I can imagine that that was a super tough day. And I remember that call. I remember that conversation. So I, I remember talking about it in my office briefly. But then I had, I think I had to leave the very next day, to fly to California to uh, go to the best friends conference and I remember getting off the plane and talking to you um, about about those decisions and, and what had to be done and, and why so yeah super tough so when we're talking about tough days like that you know what kept you going what kept you what kept you here because I can imagine just how difficult that must have been for you and your team it was I was on the verge of quitting. Yeah. I I brought my team outside and it was outside of the euthanasia room. Everybody was in a circle and I, I explained what we were expected to do. Yeah. And everybody, everybody was upset. Everybody was in a circle in tears and saying how we're all going to quit. We're, we're, all, we're all just going to leave. We're going to quit. And what are they going to do without a medical team? Yeah. Um, but... Who else is gonna do it? Yeah. No, well, nobody wants to do it. And coming out on the other side of things, I'm glad I didn't quit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still here, and because of my team, I'm still here. And I think because I'm still here, my team is still here. Jeez, that's awesome. And, and I, I agree with that. And I think you know that is the definition of leadership, right? I mean, you. You knew that this was something super difficult, but you knew that 
you know, it's something that had to be done at that time. So who better to do it than, than you and your team? Now, at that time, I can only imagine that you probably had hope that things would get better for the animals, right? Yeah, I, I had to put my trust in your decisions. And I remember you telling me that that we reason to do like we're gonna do this and come out on the other side so that we never have to make that decision again that we never have to get to that point again and i was like i'm gonna trust him (laughs) (laughs) well that that's exactly what was going through my head as well like you know this that is not something that i ever would have thought we would have had to do i i just didn't know the scope of of how things were before i got here right um, I didn't have a chance before I got here to visit. All I saw were numbers, you know, stories in the newspaper, things like that, videos that were online. But I, I, I truly didn't know the scope of things until I came. And, and I remember it was the day before I left. I was in Bay. And at that point, before we, we were able to make some revisions to, to the contract, ACOs were dropping off animals overnight. We came in and... Like I said, some it was no surprise to see seven or eight animals in a kennel, but this one kennel had way more than that. Um, just from a, a quick count, I thought I saw 13 um, larger, medium to large dogs. But then as the bay staff at the time were pulling dogs out, there was actually another puppy under all of these large dogs. So there was 14 animals in that kennel. And that was definitely, you know, another one of those things that, made me realize that we had to do something for these animals right away. And exactly what I told you was was a commitment I made to myself that we would never have to do anything like that again for you, your team, for the animals, for everybody that works here. So I'm glad you remembered that and I'm glad I was able to hold to that because um, we never had to do that again. So we never will. Um, so. Before myself and Best Friends Animal Society arrived, uh, did you know anything about Best Friends? I didn't know who they were or or anything, but I didn't know anybody outside of Palm Valley. I didn't know that there was another other shelters in the valley. I didn't know that there was this whole like world of animal welfare. I really thought that it was just us down here in the valley and. So I when when I heard that best friends was gonna come down and take a tour, I'm like, who are they? Why are they? Why do they want to come to Palm Valley? Yeah. Like, why of everybody? Why Palm Valley? That's crazy. Um, yeah, no, I I can understand that because being down here it does feel like you're on an island. Sometimes like we're so far away from everyone else, anybody else that's doing animal welfare or animal sheltering the way we want to do it, we are. We are super far away from so um, now I can I can definitely understand how you guys kind of felt like cut off and and distant so I mean I think you've probably already summed this up but what were your first impressions of myself and best friends animal society I I didn't think anything was really gonna change after the whole large numbers that had to be euthanized I didn't think that there was going to be actually big change 
but as soon as you went through with the things you were saying and I saw everything just change not overnight of course but yeah. everything starting with the pitbull band and yeah. like the numbers of adoptions and building our programs I I actually was seeing everything that you said you were going to do cool and I didn't know much about our programs. I didn't know our adoption numbers. I kind of only knew our euthanasia numbers because yeah. I was in the back and really we didn't get to know what was happening on the other side of things. So right. I didn't know that our program didn't help. I didn't know that our adoptions needed help until you you came down and you shared that with everybody. Like, yeah, we need help. <laughs> <laughs> so... So, uh, can you tell me about how that, you know, me sharing that information, how did that help you in your day-to-day? It, it made it worth it. Because a, a lot of days, it's like, why? Right. Like, why why bother? There's been times where, why bother? It's gonna, it, this dog is going to end up being euthanized. Why? It, it sounds really dark. No. But it's like, sometimes, why bother? Yeah. You know what the outcome's going to be. Why bother? Right. But getting to see the other side of things you you see that there is a chance there's a possibility yeah and it makes it easier to do the work that we do especially in medical yeah having to see the euthanasia side of things because you don't see anything else besides dogs coming through the door having to be euthanized cats cats Cats. as well yeah no i i agree i mean i feel like and i've been in that spot Right when I when I first started my other shelter, I had no idea. I had no idea the amount of animals that were being euthanized, why they were being euthanized. I had no idea. The community didn't have any idea either. So when those things just happen in the dark without anybody knowing, how can anybody want to help? How can the staff want to help? How can the community want to help if they don't know? So, so yeah, from the very beginning is I, I wanted to make sure that everybody knew the numbers and what was going on and and what you as a medical manager or a shelter manager how they could help and how they can save more more lives because I know you're not here for a paycheck I know you're not here because you love smelling like dog and cat poop and pee all day um, you're here because you want to save lives so I'm gonna tell you guys how you can do it and how we need help doing it and it's just been amazing how you've all responded to that, um, and and we've we've had some great great wins since then. Uh, speaking of a win, let's talk about September. So, um, pretty recent. Uh, so tell me about about September and 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 what we've we've accomplished. And in, in September, we. Like you said, it was a really big win, but I didn't. I the when you told me the news, I was like, when did that happen? Like, what did I do differently that, or what did anybody do differently to get to that point? Yeah, we almost reached a no kill status. Yeah, so we almost saved ninety percent of the dogs, and really, we seventeen dogs was our life saving gap. So so crazy and we were really close with cats as well so we had our highest savory ever in the month of Mm -hmm. september it was 81 percent, which is crazy last september and although we were doing you know really good work last september 
but last September was around 60%. So to see that growth in a year's time is just insane. And you mentioned earlier that the team is what got you through some of these hard times. Well, the team is what has gotten us here as well, you know? all of these these positive changes could never have been made without mm-hmm. your team without the team of palm valley and at the lpa center um it's just been it's mm-hmm. been crazy so yeah when you messaged me about with, with that news like like i mentioned like i well, like what did we do differently that that this happened and when i'm i'm on the euthanasia side of things we are thinking more on having like who are we going to euthanize yeah and it's figuring out what space do we have communicating with other departments figuring out like can we give this dog or cat a little bit more time and i think that september was a month that we really in my opinion i really thought about all of these questions with our flow team yeah. you were out of town for i'm not sure how long it felt like forever <laughs> um a lot of the decisions that we made were okay how much time how much more time can we give this animal yep. and making those decisions when I'm have well, when I'm having to sign off an animal for euthanasia is did we do everything in our power to try to get this animal out I think you're you're exactly right so so that what your team did to help us towards that goal and what they continue to do is scrutinize those those euthanasia decisions so that protocol that we've instilled and really just going through, did this animal get a chance to, to find rescue? Did this animal get a plea for foster? Did we tell the staff that this animal was going to be euthanized? Did we you know, uh, do a behavior uh, assessment on this animal? Did we take good pictures? Like all of these things that, that are on that protocol, you know, it's, it's super important because then that gets us thinking like, okay, how, what else can we do? How else can we find a live outcome? So I, I do think that you're completely right think it's you and your team along with us as leadership making those decisions and really really focusing in on the individual animals now where before we didn't have that option unfortunately because of the numbers of you know, the number of euthanasia that was happening but now that it's it's dropped so much it's dropped so much that we used to have eight euthanasia texts now we only have four and those texts do other things throughout the day because some days just a couple weeks ago, we had zero euthanasia. Um, just amazing, the changes. So with all of these crazy changes and all these improvements, what are you most looking forward to in the future? When, like you mentioned that we had a lot of euthanasia texts and now we're down to four. Yeah. It, it's amazing to feel that I don't have to schedule somebody for euthanasia. Yeah. I can schedule my staff to and go medicate, go give valuations, go work with medical dogs that needed to be wrapped or taken care of, dealing with, with having Dr. Lisa come over, teaching us for the future, getting to do more for the animals that are coming in is what I'm most excited for. That's awesome. Because we, we couldn't offer a lot of that to our animals before Best Friends came down yeah. or APA came down. 
we we couldn't offer pain relief we couldn't offer basic medical care right and now that we are we're learning about what we can do to make this animal more comfortable while we try to find an outcome it it's amazing that our team was a team of euthanizers but now we're actually a medical team yeah <laughs> they're, they're learning so much every single day on how to treat what to look for and that's what i'm more, more most excited for that's amazing so if we can end off with like a story so can you tell me a story of an animal that you had like your hands in i know there's tons and probably hundreds but any any good story that you can tell me about an animal that you had your hands in saving i think a lot of people have heard the story of jeter okay i love this story um the ones the people listening that don't know about jeter um, Jeter was at risk for euthanasia. Um, he he had a URI, kind of like a like a cold, so he was up for euthanasia. Um, he was put into a kennel where we keep our dogs who are going to be ultimately euthanized. Yeah. He was housed in there with another dog who was also going to be euthanized for for a URI, and there was a rescue that came by to pick up. The dog who Jeter was housed with. Okay. Um, so Jeter's was, like a shepherdy mix, right? Yeah. Do you remember a, what the other dog was? He was a brown shepherd. Oh, another shepherd. Okay. <laughs> another shepherd. A little Texas um, brown dog. Okay. Um, the rescue was Rough House. Oh, nice. Yeah. So they sent someone to come pick up that dog, and when we removed that dog from that kennel, the 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 woman asked, "Well, what about this dog?" Told her the reason. Tried to push him on her. <laughs> yeah. Like, you want to get him too? And it wasn't it wasn't gonna be her call to to tag she the, was dog. the she transporter was, for yeah, the she was for only there to pick house, up right? yeah and so she she walked off and I told the euthanizers he's he's gonna be good he's gonna be okay to, to euthanize oh wow there's there's no outcome yeah um I I noticed that she was pacing back and forth in our bay on the phone talking about can we tag this dog can yeah. we tag this dog and so. I kind of held off waiting for her to just come and tell me, hey, we're going to tag this dog. And she she kept pacing um, the dog. I ended up seeing Jeter walk into the euthanasia room, and she turned around and she said, I'm going to take him. I'm, I'm, they, uh, the rescue said, Rafael said, we're tagging him. We're going to take him. I ran to the euthanasia room. Wow. Never ran so fast in my life. <laughs> I ran to the euthanasia room. I screamed. I'm like, just stop. Because I noticed him on the table. He was already on the table. Oh, my God. And the, the techs just was start, was start, were startled because I just you came just in. Just, in yeah, there. I busted into the yeah. room. And the I'm like, have you euthanized him? He's like, no. I, I actually missed the vein. <gasps> so if I was just a couple, couple seconds too late, then he, he would have been gone. Oh my god! So they, he had the needle in his arm. I told him to stop. He, he stopped. They put him down. I'm like, she's leaving with this dog. Wow! Oh my god! So I, we, I, I personally loaded him into her vehicle. I did a real quick PCR test and sent him off his way. Off. Yeah. Oh my gosh! That's amazing! Holy smokes! Well, I mean, I think that kind of sums up this year this past year you know doing everything that we can 
even when it comes down to the last moment to save as many lives as possible. And uh, you and your team are the embodiment of that. So thank you so much for sitting down with us and, and talking to us today. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say to the, to the people listening? Stay tuned because you're going to hear a bunch of more great stories and you're come along for the ride for us to go to No Kill. Woo! All right. Well, thank you so much and thank you all for listening. Have a good day.